welcome to Even the Trunchbull, our show about children's books and why we still love them as adults. She's Nina. They're Matt. And we think that children's books are for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchbull. They're all mistakes, children. Filthy, nasty things. Glad I never was one. From Roald Dahl's beloved Matilda, despite her protestations. Each episode, we review one picture book and one chapter book. We've started off with the books that we've read as kids. But if you've got a book that you'd like us to review, especially if you are currently a kid, please get in touch. You can email us at eventhetrunchable at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter and Facebook at TrunchblePod. This week, we're reading around dragons and gender. Yay! So if you were thinking at any point that this podcast needed more dragons, this week we've got at least two of them. At least two. Our chapter book is Diggory the Dragon Slayer by Angela McAllister. But first, our picture book this week is The Worst Princess by Anna Kemp, illustrated by Sarah Ogilvie. So we're doing dragons and gender together because... People telling stories about princesses and knights and dragons are often making a point about gender roles. If you think about, like, Frozen from Disney. Yeah, or any of the old fairy tales where it just went as given that women were things that needed rescuing from beasts. Yeah. (laughs) And I think maybe that's because, like, the dichotomy between the role of a princess and the role of a knight, if you map it onto boy-girl, is so extreme... Yeah, I kind of think it's still, it's maybe still not subverted enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think both of these books subvert it really nicely. It's ripe for subversion is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, like... it's, I mean, it's it's cardboard cut out characters that are just so packed with expectations that are so silly. It's just an invitation to play with it and muck <laughs> stuff up. <laughs> Definitely. Do you want to tell us about our picture book, Matt? Yeah, so at The Worst Princess, we have a princess who... Princess Sue. Princess Sue, who's just bored, basically, <laughs> um, and is really keen to be kind of whisked away by a prince because she's read all the books, she's grown her hair long, she knows what Rapunzel to expect. Rapunzel vibes. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, right, all we need now is someone to come and whisk me away with true love's kiss and all the rest of it. Eventually someone shows up, this sort of bumbling prince character. <laughs> She's like, great, let's get out of here. Kiss me. Let's, <laughs> let's get this done. Like, she comes onto him very strongly, which is straight away great. one of the, uh, like, first really nice subversions. And so he's like, oh, yeah, fantastic. Yes, off we go. My sweet peach, my little trifle. And uh, various other... Irritating pet names. Pet names and adjectives. And uh, he whisks her away and she's like, oh, this is brilliant. Just get to see the world from the back of this horse and go and do things and live my life now. And they rock up at a castle. He's like, right, in your pop then. (laughs) She's like, no, my turtle dove, my precious peach, my perfect flower. You've got a penthouse in the tower. And she's like a bit bemused by this, a bit annoyed by this. So Prince in his armour, because uh, he's the one who wears the armour, is, yeah. is what he asserts. He, he missions off and she's just left in the tower. But there's a tail in the twist. There's a big dragon that she sees from the top of the tower um, <laughs> who um, she kind of just like teams up with. She's like, do you want to come round for tea? She's not scared of him. It's her, isn't it? Dragon's a girl. 
Oh, is it? Oh, well, yeah. there you go. Straight away, I've fallen foul of uh, one of the things it is trying to subvert. I've just gone yeah. and assumed that the dragon is male, but it's not. It's a it's a girl dragon. Apologies. She. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she comes round for tea and they both chat about the prince. The dragon says, yeah, he's doing me nothing. And the princess says, he's, yeah, he's doing my nothing as well. He's locked me in this tower. The dragon says, well, that's no good. Um, so knocks down the tower for her. <laughs> the prince comes back and says, "This what what's going on? This is awful. Your dress is in a state and why is there a dragon in my garden? So the dragon sets his shorts on fire. And then the dragon and the princess go off and have adventures and go jousting and stuff. Um, and live happily ever after. And live happily ever after, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, yeah, dragon as ally. Or dragon as lesbian lover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't even read that. <laughs> I, I suppose I'd just been reading it as like a... A book for small children but no you're right <laughs> also, but well, i suppose yeah like you get you get the books for small children about being whisked away by a male lover so yeah so that's fine why, why yeah. not a, a clawed fire breathing lesbian lover yeah <laughs> we're saying this but there's not really any romance no, in this at all it's n- like that's it's straight away we should say that the pictures are purely of jousting and going on yeah. adventures and there stuff. is no it's, snogging it is not explicitly a lesbian dragon no so yeah it's great really really good pictures like so much done with like facial expressions like the prince's horse has some great little facial expressions like when uh they get to the tower and she's like oh, i'm not being locked in there and he's like yeah you are and the horse's eyes are just sort of like oh it's a bit awkward caught in the middle of this <laughs> <laughs> just endlessly love picture books for that, like like the amount of little sub stories you can tell yeah. with no words at all, just a little sort of twist to the mouth or the way the eyes are pointed. Did you notice that Princess Sue's hair and dress get shorter the more emancipated she is? No, <laughs> I didn't notice that either. It's a mini skirt on the last page. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! Like it's you know that's this great. like floor-length gown and these floor-length Rapunzel tresses on the first page. And it's what she thinks she's supposed to wear. And then she sort of cuts her hair shorter and shorter and the dress gets more and more ragged and short as time goes on. And, like, in the last few pages you can see her knickers, her big, flowery, (laughs) bouffant knickers. (laughs) As she's, like, jousting and things. I mean, it is interesting, that thing that you're saying about, like, that's what she thinks she's supposed to wear. I think that's what both of these books do really interestingly, is this, mm. this like, plays with this idea of identity of, like, oh, that's what people say I am and that's what people say I should do, so therefore yeah. that's what I'll do. In Princess Sue's case, she's read all the books, she knows what to do, you yeah. know, like, she's yeah, yeah. got her brief and she's following it. And then it's rubbing up against the reality of that. But that's actually really dull. Yeah. <laughs> And it's so great when the prince the prince shows up and she's like, come on then, kiss me. Like, <laughs> give me a kiss, that'll do it. Like, are we away? And he's waiting for, he seems to be sort of waiting for like the opportunity to take control of some sort yeah. of courtship. And she just snogs him. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's like, right, where's your horse? Let's go. It was brilliant. 
You wanted to talk about the rhyming scheme in this. Yeah, it, I mean, it's um, it's kind of follows a sort of pitter-patter rhythm, which mm-hmm. sort of feels like it keeps it in the world of this kind of yuldy fairy tale, cosy rhyme scheme. But then, like, immediately peppers that with, like, jokes and kind of modern turns of phrase. Yes. Some day, she sighed, my prince will come, but I wish he'd move his royal bum. (laughs) (laughs) And it's got all kinds of that through it. I may have messed up my hair, but I've booked a flight with Dragonair. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's just, I mean, really a a good message, which... Yeah. If you're bored and unhappy, that's not okay. <laughs> and you yeah. can change it. You you're allowed to go and do something else. Um And if your boy playmate is making you play a game you don't like, you can just walk off and play a different game. Off. Yeah. Yeah. Get a dragon on him. But moving into like an older sort of readership as well, thinking particularly like younger girls, I think Subtly, as you were saying, with the sort of subtext of the dragon being a lesbian lover, there's a real undertone here of like, it's okay to be promiscuous as well. Yeah. I think that really is in there. It's like, it's not working where you are, you can go somewhere else. You don't have to stop with the first person you kiss. Yeah. Yeah. Because you might be a bit of a prat. Yeah. (laughs) And I guess, like, maybe even for like kids that young, that's a good message to get in. Yeah. Like, it disputes that idea of ownership in relationships. What age of kid is this for? Uh, it's quite little, I think, isn't yeah. it? It's probably yeah. you probably start about three. And it's not just for girls. No, absolutely not. It's definitely a book for boys as well. Bit of gender politics, nice and young. It's, it's fab. Great for a read aloud. Thoroughly recommend it. Are we ready to move on? Yeah, let's. Okay. Our next book is Diggory the Dragon Slayer by Angela McAllister, which plays with some of the same themes so i think nina you're going to tell us about this one yeah so this is an early chapter reader i would say we've been going quite old with our chapter books for maybe like your tween ages this is for like your seven and ups so this is a story of a little boy called diggory and he lives in a village called batty by noodle which should tell you something about the world this is set in (laughs) it's very silly (laughs) yeah And he's a dreamy sort of boy. He likes poking sticks in streams. He likes singing little songs. And he likes going for picnics in the woods. He's always got his lute with him, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, He's got a long nose like a chipolata and red hair, which makes him the figure of fun for the other children in the village, including his brothers. His brothers are big, beefy boys, are big figures of masculinity. And his mother's the blacksmith. And she also likes metal and muscles and sweat. And not not much is said about his father. Um, So he's a bit of a disappointment and he kind of knows it and feels it. And he goes off into the woods one day and finds a dragon's tooth. And he's like, aha! Um, And he puts it in his hat band to walk back home and composes a little song to himself in his head about the tooth. And he runs into a villager and the villager goes, what's that in your hat band? And he's like, it's a dragon's tooth. And the guy freaks out, runs away. And by the time he gets back to the village, everybody's heard that Diggory has a dragon's tooth. And Diggory has slain the dragon and protected Batty by Noodle. 
And he's going, no, I didn't. I literally just found it on the floor. But nobody will listen to him. Everyone says he's just being modest. His mother is proud of him for the first time in his life. She makes him his own armour. Um, and she welds the dragon's tooth into the helmet so that everybody knows that he's Diggory the Dragon Slayer. His brothers beat him up until he tells them the truth. He tells them the truth and they won't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, he is knighted by Mr. Squire. And on the on the morning of the knighting, he's actually going to run away because he doesn't want to do it. But he comes down into the kitchen. His mum's been sitting up all night polishing his new armour. And she says how she's so proud of him and she never thought he had it in him. So after that, he couldn't run away. So he's knighted. He gets given a horse, which is an old cart horse. And off he goes to be a knight, hoping not to run into any dragons. And he knows that what he's supposed to do is rescue a damsel in distress and kill a dragon and then marry the princess. So he arrives in the kingdom of King Widget, And King Widget has a memory problem. He can never remember the names of things. So, you know, in a very self-aware move (laughs) about, like, what she's saying about masculinity and femininity and labels, everything in King Widget's palace is literally labelled. He's got a label (laughs) says king. The queen's got a label says queen. The tree's got a label Mm. says tree. And the pear has got a label that says pear. (laughs) I love the bit when he shows up at this palace and the labeler comes up to him and he says what's your name and he gives his full title yeah i am sir diggory the dragon slayer and this guy sighs and sort of pulls out a very long label (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) writes it on and then just pulls out an old used one that says horse for the horse (laughs) (laughs) and and this dooms diggory right because it says the dragon slayer on his badge um so he settled into um, King Widget's court. He makes friends with the princess, who is also not adhering to her gendered expectations. She's got spiky brown hair like a hodge pig. And she also likes making music and climbing trees. And so they're getting on, yeah. they become best friends. His dad apologises for her at first, doesn't he? He's like, oh, I do have a daughter, but you'll not like her. She just likes sort of reading and playing music and going on walks and stuff. She's really weird. He's like, no, 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 that'd be great. Like, that's that's that sounds right up my street. Yeah, and so they become best friends, and Diggory endears himself to King Widget. He's like, this isn't so bad. I, I can be the knight. But then one fine morning, the king remembers something. He's like, ah, oh, there's a thing on the tip of my tongue. It's like, uh, what, uh, uh, um, did did you want to talk about a bath? No, or did you want to play a game of chess? No, oh, it's something with um snails. The garden, no, scales. A dragon. The dragon. Right. He goes, oh, yeah, that's right. It's not important. It's just a dragon. So you know you're out Diggory the Dragon Slayer. Could you just, like, go out and kill our dragon for us and then it'll be a done deal and you can live here forever? And Diggory's like, well, <laughs> I suppose so. It's because he's a dragon slayer. They're just like, oh, yeah, just uh, another, like, like they're asking to mow the yeah. lawn. Just like, oh, there's a dragon down the way. If you could just go and yeah. slay it, that'd be lovely. Yeah. Because it's been so There's helpful. probably only one. Yeah. There might, there <laughs> There's might probably be only one. <laughs> they, t- they tend to come in twos or threes, don't they? <laughs> and Diggory can't say no. And so the big morning comes. And he's expecting a bit of a fanfare and a bit of a fuss, but nobody makes any of that. So he goes off. He's got this hand-drawn map from the king, which has basically only got three things on it. It's got the castle, the dragon's lair, and a wavy blue line at the bottom for the sea. 
and Dickory's never seen the sea, so he's like, oh, I could go and kill the dragon. Or I could go to the sea. <laughs> that could be fun. And maybe by the time I come back from the sea, the dragon will have gone away. And at this point, the narration, I'm going to read out an excerpt because this is brilliant. But what about Enid, you ask? Enid's the princess. Well, this is the story of Diggory, and so it is the story of what Diggory did. Remember, he wasn't a great hero at the beginning, just an ordinary sort of everyday, stream-poking chap like you or me. Sometimes we do a good thing, sometimes we do a bad thing, and sometimes people mistake us for heroes and expect us to fight dragons. (laughs) Yeah, I like that bit. So it's sort of (laughs) self-aware about, oh, why are we following the boy around and we don't care about what's happening to the girl? No, it's Diggory's story. (laughs) So we're going to follow what he does, and he's not a big hero. He doesn't want to kill the dragon. So he decides to go off to the sea, but his destiny thwarts him. He runs into a wizard who points him back toward the dragon. And I think we'll stop there. Yeah, so I guess it's another one that's kind of playing with that idea of identity and subverting it. Um, As you say, like quite literally with the idea of labelling things. There's that thing that the worst princess is picking up as well. It's like, I am this thing because I've been told I'm this thing. Therefore, I must be this thing. Everyone's going around saying, you're a knight, you're a knight, you're a dragon slayer. And so he's like, he's off on his horse on the roads, sort of going, God, I really hope I don't see any dragons. (laughs) It's not like, maybe I'll just go and do something else. It's like, I hope I don't see a dragon because then I'll have to go and slay it. And like when he gets to the palace and he's doing all these odd jobs, and he's like, oh, this is all right. I can like rescue cats from trees and stuff. That's fine. And then he's like, I suppose I better ask. You got any? Have you got a daughter I can marry? Uh, like, and he's sort of hoping that he says like, no. Yeah. <laughs> he's met a few princesses on the road, and they're always just like sort of combing their hair, and and he doesn't like them. Like he tries talking to them about mud because that's what his sister liked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he comes across as like ever so slightly sort of autistic. Mm, yeah, do you he think? does. Like he's he's very attached to his script. These are the things that we talk to people yeah. about. But he comes from this, like, <laughs> cracker's town. Oh, what's the passage? There's this bit. A few words about cleverness. Now, the name of Diggory's village was Batty by Noodle, which may give you some idea of the sort of people who lived there. No one from Batty had ever done anything clever. One night, Farmer Ragwort saw a shooting star fall into the pond, but... Though he fished all night, he never caught it. And Meg, the cowgirl, claimed she could talk to cows, but nobody was interested to hear what a cow had to say, so they didn't think much of that. People thought Squire Paunch was the cleverest man in the village because he was the squire. But none of them was clever enough to know how clever he really was. And the squire himself, if he was clever, didn't know anyone cleverer to compare himself to. So how could he tell? Well, you get the picture. (laughs) But yeah, so it's this town where like everyone's just sort of blissfully stupid mm. and just very into like punching each other and fighting. And yeah, stuff. this is an interesting thing is in Batty by Noodle, it seems like masculinity is what is valued in men and in women. That's quite interesting. His mum's a really interesting yeah. character. His yeah. mum's really macho. She's the smith, isn't she? And so, you know, she forges iron and she's raised, apart from Diggory, these three macho kids, including her daughter, who's champion mudslinger, and Arthur and Tom, who are also big and beefy and macho. And then she's just got this like little 
effete, thin, sausage-nosed little minstrel <laughs> to round it off with, and she doesn't know what to do with him. Mum's the kind of father figure, yeah. traditionally, yeah. which is like, that's quite a nice subversion mm-hmm. as well. I like this bit. When he wasn't in the forest, Diggory would hang around the forge where his mother, Betsy the blacksmith, worked, hoping she might notice him. Yeah. But nobody heard Diggory strumming and singing except his father. You know your mother, son, he said gently as he pegged out the washing. She likes iron and fire and sweat and muscles. She doesn't have much time for thinking and songs. Unless they're songs about iron and fire and sweat and muscles, shouted his mother (laughs) from the smithy. And what you can tell, I think, from these readings is the narrative voice is extremely wry and tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. And there's these lovely character portraits every time you meet someone. I think we should read the very beginning when we're introduced to Diggory. In the days of old, when knights were bold, there lived a boy called Diggory. He came from a village where nothing much happened, and he was just a bit older than you. Diggory had lanky mm. legs, ginger hair, and a nose like a chipolata. <laughs> Yeah. Worst Princess pulls that move as well, interestingly, right at the beginning. It's like a princess who lived in a castle not very far from where you live. Yeah, these like things Um, to like familiarise the setting with you. They're such similar stories. I don't think we've had a pairing before that's like, I've read them both and been like, the fact that they're not by the same author (laughs) seems weird. (laughs) Like they're pulling like so many of the same moves. Yeah. Except this is about. A boy not conforming. We get lots of stories about brave princesses nowadays. Girl power. Girl power. Yeah. Like, it's cool for a girl to be a mm-hmm. tomboy now, but it's still not mm-hmm. so cool for mm-hmm. a boy to be soft. It's okay to want to be masculine, because that's the good and proper gender. Yeah. <laughs> but to want to be feminine, like, why would anyone want that? Yeah. Um so I think this is an extremely self-aware book. She knows what she's doing. Like, she makes the point about the labels. I also picked out a couple of references. The passage I read you just there about the shooting star. That's Calcifer from Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah, I'd not clock that. But yeah, you're <laughs> absolutely spot on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lovely reference. If you don't know Howl's Moving Castle, it is also a very subversive fairy tale with lots of subverted fairy tale tropes yeah howl's an interesting kind of masculine as well isn't he? Oh, that's uh... he's so vain and cowardly <laughs> yeah he's quite feminine yeah but still has like all of the worst kind of man <laughs> behaviors <laughs> <laughs> i think i fancied him a bit you know i don't think i realized it at the time i i could see that for you I probably idolise him a bit. Have I have I based bits of my personality on Howl? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Can we can we do Howl's Moving Castle? I know it's like such an obvious one, but I'd love to do Howl's Moving Castle. In another episode. <laughs> Let's bring it back to Diggory. Alright, yeah, yeah. Where were we? Yay! Yay, Christmas giveaway! We're doing a giveaway! We've put together a bundle of presents all connected to the themes and books we've been reading throughout the year and wrapped them all up in a tote bag kindly donated by Armchair Books. Disclaimer, we know the co-owner of Armchair Books, so that's how we got it. Definitely check out Armchair Books if you're ever up in Edinburgh. Gorgeous little bookshop. So basically, each week this series, we're going to be popping in to tell you about one of the presents... This week we're telling you about Pinocchio by Carlo Collodi. So our show about puppet pals is the most popular episode we've ever made, did you know that? 
I didn't actually, no. No, I haven't been keeping up on the stats, but that's great. It was yeah. one of my favourites. So we thought we'd tie one of our presents into that episode. We really liked Michael Morpurgo's adaptation. And for me, it was really fun to peruse the original story as well to see what he'd changed. So if you would like to do that too, you're in luck. So Penguin Classics got an illustration per chapter. So if you want to see Geppetto's wig, for instance, it's there. It's right there in the book. If you've listened to the episode, you'll hear us talking about how much darker <laughs> the original is. <laughs> oh, it is fun. It is really fun. Um, it's very much more moralistic and a lot, a lot darker. In this, the fox and the cat are assassins. So that's Pinocchio by Carlo Claudi going in the tote bag as well. Uh, so enter the giveaway if you fancy reading it. And if you need reminding of how to enter, just check out the show notes. And now on with the show! There's an unusual structure to this book. This book is 130 pages, including illustrations and quite big type. Mm. And it's divided up into chapters, and then each chapter is also divided into, like, very descriptive subheadings. So, in chapter one, there is... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven subheadings. Mm. And I thought that was a bit strange. You thought that that was maybe like a reference to like these older... Yeah, I feel like 19th century books did it a lot, that you have like the episodes in which our grand hero comes across like these really long things. So I don't know if it's like (laughs) making fun of that slightly. I think it also makes it a really good book for someone who hasn't been reading very long. Because it summarises itself. Yeah, or if, like me, you're in the middle of lockdown and your attention span has been reduced to that of a gnat, it's also quite useful. (laughs) Yeah, like it kind of reminds you what's happening every few pages. And it breaks up the text, not that the text is very long anyway, but it breaks it up into not only chapter-sized chunks, but really these just like mini-episodes. And then the title of the new mini-episode basically tells you what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you put it down and come back to it at any point, it'll tell you, oh yeah, the Kingdom of King Widget, that's right, we're in the Kingdom of King Widget. We should talk about the illustrations by Ian Beck. They remind me of tapestries, of like, nightly fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So they're black and white. This full-page illustration of Diggory, this like character portrait of him, where he's sort of like filling the frame and there's little birds around him and there's a bit of mm. foliage around him like it's a funny sort of texture it made me think of threads in a tapestry yeah I totally get where you're coming from also i don't know if this is really a horrific and a scandalous thing to say but they're also set up to be a really good coloring in pictures yes so absolutely there's that as well you know take your crayons to them so yeah we, we like these illustrations by Ian Beck, and there are enough that you never go more than about five pages without a drawing. Yeah, no, it breaks it up really nicely, yeah, definitely. I would say for a book that's fairly long for an early reader, it's very approachable and manageable. Yeah. A seven-year-old could read this to themselves quite confidently. Quite quickly as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just long enough that I think your new reader would feel a great sense of accomplishment finishing it by themselves. But also, it won't take them forever. There are nine chapters. You know, it, it's chill. It's not too long. Yeah. So, that was episode 15 of Even the Trunchbull. Thanks for listening. Once again, if you've any thoughts on books you loved as a kid. Or love now as a kid. Let us know, or ask a grown-up to let us know. 
We're at eventheTrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter and Facebook at TrunchbullPod. Intro music for this episode and every episode is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers. And remember, kids' books can be for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchbull. Trunchbull.